please open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Our first section this evening, the section corresponding with the Hebrew letter Vav, begins at verse 41. Psalm 119, verse 41. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Here in verse 41, the psalmist makes a very important acknowledgement. He recognizes that mercy and salvation come from God to man through the word of God. Look at it again, right there in verse 31. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. The word of God does not only point us towards mercy and salvation as if it were a self-help book. No, the Bible actually brings us mercy and salvation. And by the way, I love how the psalmist put it there in verse 41. He said, let your mercies come. The plural, right? Because I don't know about you, but I need more than one mercy. I need them in the plural. I need them in the six-pack or the 24-pack or however it is. And he desires this mercy, not only instruction in the word of God. He knows he leads a lot of mercy, so he asks for it in the plural. And he needs mercy from God more than he needs it from man. And so he addresses his plea for mercy to God. And then he says, God, you must bring it to me. What does he say? Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord. In other words, I'm unable sometimes to go get your mercy. Lord, would you please come and bring it to me? And then verse 42 is the glorious result. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Trust in God's word gives an answer to those who reproach us. Do you remember what that great old word reproach means? It means to hold somebody in disapproval or in disgrace. And sometimes when you get those looks from people, how disapproving they are, that you actually believe the Bible. You actually read it. Well, what strange creature you must be to read and believe this book. And when we face their disapproval or their scorn, we shall have an answer for them because we trust in God's word. Those disapproving voices we often hear can often be answered by our abiding trust in the approval that the believer finds in God. Is there anything more glorious than to have that sense of approval, that sense of the pleasure of God in you, his acceptance of you as you fellowship with him in your word? When we believe who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ, then the disapproval of this world is answered. And then he goes on, verse 43, with a prayer that the word of God would remain in his mouth. He says, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances, so shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. His request is simple. Don't take your word utterly out of my mouth. Now, this request is rooted in an understanding. And the understanding is that it is only by the goodness and the grace of God that his word dwells with us. 
And therefore, the prayer is that it would continue to do so. Was there a time in your life when you read the Bible and it made no sense? I talk to people who have this experience. Now, I never really read the Bible before I was converted. But there are people who tell me their testimony is that before they were converted, they read the Bible and it just was meaningless. It's a great big jumble to them. They had no idea what it meant. And then they gave their life to Jesus Christ. And suddenly, it's not as if they understood everything in the Bible immediately, but definitely a light was turned on and an understanding was there that they did not have before. Friends, that is the gift of God. And that's a wonderful thing to have in your life. You can pray for more of that. And especially, you should thank God that it's in your life. When you read the Bible and you understand things, you should just pause and say, thank you, Lord, that I can understand things from your word. You know, this is true for humanity in general. Hypothetically, God might have created man, yet never communicated with him by his word. The late great Dr. Francis Schaeffer had a wonderful little book, and as much as anything, I found the title of the book very compelling. The, the, the title of the book was about God, of course, and it was titled this, He is There and He is Not Silent. Isn't that great? two great things to know about God? Number one, that he's there, that he exists, that he's not just the figment of somebody's imagination. But number two, he is not silent. He has spoken to us. And God might have remained silent, but he did not because he wanted to communicate with man. He wanted to fellowship with man. It's also true for the individual who is awakened and attentive to God's word. They are so because of God's work in them. And so it's wise and it's worthy for us to pray that it would be that way more and more so. But I'll tell you who this is most true for. This is most true for men like me who stand up in front of others and proclaim the word of God. Because any teacher or preacher should pray this prayer. Isn't this a fitting prayer for me to pray? And do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. You see, we should count it as an example of God's goodness and grace that I'm allowed to teach or preach at all. So, Lord, please, I don't presume upon this great grace that you have given me. Give it to me more and more, Lord. Why? At the end of verse 43, he says, For I have hoped in your ordinances. I have hoped in your ordinances. Therefore, I pray for your future work. It's wonderful. Our past hope and trust in God becomes the ground for our future expectation from him. And then the promise in verse 44, so shall I keep your law continually. The psalmist wanted God's word to remain in his mouth so that he could keep God's law. It wasn't for a self-serving purpose. It wasn't this, God, keep your word within me so I can win a lot of arguments. God, keep your word within me so that I can show everybody else how smart I am. Lord, keep your word within me so I can win that next Bible trivia quiz. Not at all. It's why, so I shall keep your law continually. Then he continues on, and I I really love these next verses, starting at verse 45. He says, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. I will speak of your testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also will I lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. First of all, he says in verse 45, and I will walk in liberty. Now he just spoke about the obedience that comes from having God's word within us. And it is liberty, is it not? 
Now he testifies that this obedience brings great liberty. Freedom comes through obedience and submission to God. It's proven in life after life, both in the positive and in the negative. Obedience and the pursuit of God's word and God's wisdom leads to liberty. Disobedience, rejection of God's word, and reliance upon one's own wisdom, it leads to bondage. Do you hear the whisper of the devil in your ear? And I can't say for sure whether it's the the world, the flesh, or the devil whispering in your ear, but I'll just pick on the devil for a moment. Imagine that it's the devil whispering in your ear, be free, do whatever you want to do. You you don't need anybody's rules. Be free, do whatever you want to. That is the surest path to a life of bondage. Look, Look at the people imprisoned right now. How did they get in prison? Because they were obeying God's word? I think not. And there may be some poor unfortunates in foreign countries, unfortunately, where Christians are persecuted. But in our own land, when you go to the prisons, when you go to the jails, you're not going to find people are there because they were obeying God's word. They're there because they were disobeying what God says. Pick any one of the Ten Commandments you'd like to pick right there, and you'll just find that they were disobeying God's word. But God's word, when it is obeyed, brings tremendous liberty. And then he says, for I seek your precepts. He sought them. The the, the precepts of God are not forced upon us as if we were slaves. No, we're free men. We're free women. And we choose this way of freedom in God. And if you want to talk about freedom, look at verse 46, where he says, I will speak of your testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. That's an example of the liberty that he just mentioned. To have the boldness and to have the ability to speak freely of God and his great word, even before kings and the great men of this earth, that's liberty. Isn't it a tremendously free soul who could walk into a, before a great king or a prominent person of this earth and boldly proclaim to them the truth of God? That's freedom. That's liberty. And this is the kind of thing that the psalmist is speaking of. He's free from the fear of the greatest and the proudest and the most powerful of men. That's real liberty. And then he goes on to talk about it in verse 47, where he says, and I will delight myself in your commandments. I love how he phrases that. He phrases it in an I will statement, right? I will delight myself in your commandments. This shows that delighting in God's word is a choice. It's a matter of the will. That the psalmist didn't wait for the feelings of delight to overcome him. Okay, God, if you just want to pour into me feelings of delight for your word, then I will accept them. No, he simply said, I will delight in your word. Now now think about it, something that you delight over. If you delight over something, you give it your attention, you give it your care, you give it your time, you give it your effort, you give it your money. If you delight in someone or something, that's what you do. If you will delight in God's word that way, it will not disappoint you. I I find it very interesting that in verse 44 in this section, the psalmist said, so shall I keep your law continually. Now, in the verses following verse 44, he lists at least three things that come from a life of obedience. Liberty, number one, right? And I will walk at liberty. Number two, courage, where he says, I will not be ashamed to speak forth your word before kings. And delight. 
Listen, I think that that is a birthright of the obedient child of God. That God wants you to have liberty and courage and delight. These are the blessings of the obedient life. Blessings that are not earned by our obedience, but simply enjoyed by the person who will keep his law continually. But I have to say, I have a special affection for how this section ends. Did you see how it ended? I'll read it to you again. And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. My hands also will I lift up to your commandments, which I love. Twice, to emphasize and to build a point of strength, he brings forth the idea that he loves the word of God. The strength and the depth of the psalmist's love for God's word is impressive. And that love is manifested not only in the feeling of delight, but also in an act of honor. He says, my hands will I also lift up to your commandments. I do this, Lord, to acknowledge your greatness and the greatness of your word. And then he also honors God's word by giving it time and energy because he says at the end, and I will meditate on your statutes. We may say that all true love has these three components. Now think about it. All true love has these three components. Feeling, the giving of honor, and the desire to spend time and energy with the beloved. I would say that if someone has no feeling, if they have no giving of honor, and if they have no desire to spend time and energy with the beloved, or in knowing the beloved, then they have no love towards that person or towards that object. Friends, do you realize you can love God's word this way? You can have feeling towards God's word. You can give God's word honor. And then you can desire to spend time and energy in knowing God's word. That is a good measure of our love for the word of God. Listen, we have to confront ourselves with the truth that all too often... The Bible is merely read in a very quick way. Now listen, if you read your Bible in a very quick, cursory way, the first thing I want to say to you is God bless you, at least you're reading your Bible at all. And I mean that genuinely. I mean that genuinely. The last thing I want to do is is cast an aspersion or make a criticism of people who are in fact reading their Bibles. If you are reading your Bible, God bless you. But I would challenge you this. Even if you are reading your Bible read it better. Read it with more love, more care, more attention, more meditation. If we love God's word, we will love to linger over every word. You know how it is when young or even older lovers are exchanging love letters. Does anybody do those anymore? In the age of text messages and Skype and emails... Now, my wife and I, we had a long-distance relationship for the two years between the time when we met and the time when we got married. And for much of that time, she was in Sweden, and I was in California for almost all of that time. That was our situation. And so we wrote a lot of letters. Could you imagine me getting a letter from my, you know, Swedish wonderful, lovely woman that I loved and wanted to marry? Could you imagine me getting a letter from her and then seeing it from the mailbox and tossing it on a pile and saying, well, I'll get to that in a few days. 
And then finally I get around in a few days and I open it up and I look at it and I'm just kind of scanning it. Blah, 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 love, love, whatever, this and that. All right, you know, great. Now what's on the television? Can anybody imagine such a thing? No, no, never. No, what is it? Well, when you love the person, when you love what they've written to you, you have a way of lingering over every word. You think about it, don't you? You read the words and you actually think about them. What a novel concept. But this is, this is what God should do in our hearts towards his word. We should be able to say, Lord, I love your word, and I'll treat it in a way that displays my love. Father, that's our prayer. We see this heart of the psalmist, Lord, and we can't leave this passage saying, Lord, we want that heart. I want it, Lord. And I, like I suppose most everybody here, we would say, we love your word, Lord, but we want to love it more. And so draw out of us, Lord, this loving attention of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.